Serb Alper in the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. To come to the attention of this podcaster recently that the NBA season is going to begin soon. Christmas Day, in fact. It's also come to my attention that a lot has happened in the way of transactions, etc., in the NBA's offseason. To inform us about the most notable stories of that offseason and the most interesting storylines going forward, we bring in a kindred spirit. His name is Tom Haverstro. He writes currently for Heat Index, the team-specific Miami Heat site for ESPN. He's also written for ESPN Insider and HoopData.com that deals with a lot of the sort of granular data that would appeal to the baseball nerd. In what follows, I ask Mr. Haberstro about the Chris Paul situation and how that's changed the complexion of the Los Angeles Clippers. We look at a Denver Nuggets team predicted by ESPN's NBA analyst John Hollinger to finish second in the Western Conference, largely on the merits of their scoring efficiency. And Haberstro points us to some rookies that might make an impact in the 2011-2012 season. It's Fangraph's sorta, kinda NBA preview with Tom Haberstro right now on Fangraph's Audio. Wow. Are you a so are you a resident of Miami then? I am. I'm actually a resident of the great municipality of South Beach. And this is where basketball geekdom has taken me. Wait, how does that happen? Well, um I was in Bristol, Connecticut a couple of years ago working as a stats and analysis consultant. Um and somewhere down the line I just uh Got some really nice breaks and started working at ESPN Insider as a researcher and doing some NBA work and baseball work. And a spot opened up once LeBron told everyone he was going to take his talents to South Beach. Uh, A spot opened up for this new project called the Heat Index. And they were looking for an analytically sound guy who could break down statistically the the basketball experiment. And... So I got the call from a guy who works for ESPN NBA, and here I am. Okay, so all right, so let's let's uh, we'll we'll address your credentials. That's the, so we can figure out. Now, I I first saw your name from uh, HoopData.com, I think, right? Yes. You were doing um, something there, and that, that that was an exciting site for me because there was a lot of um, maybe more granular data, and also I guess a sort of um, aggre- aggregating of of new metrics that existed in basketball that maybe you could get in bits and pieces from other site, but you could get them all here at Hoop Data, and you could also um, and it, the format was nice and it, and it still exists. I should say I shouldn't speak of it in the in the, the past tense. But <laughs> so so what so what was your involvement with Hoop Data? Well, it was this new startup um, started by these really two brilliant guys, uh, Joe Trueline and Matt Nolan. Matt Nolan is actually a huge Fangrass uh, fan, uh, as was I at the time, and still am. You hate Fangrass now? That's what you're... <laughs> well, see, here's the thing. I grew. I started my, my analytical work in baseball, uh, reading Baseball Prospectus, Bill James, uh, Fangrass was obviously... I mean, I still have Fangrass on my toolbar, my bookmarks on my uh, Google Chrome browser. So um, what happened was 
I was writing uh, once a week for ESPN Insider um, on freelance, and um, they they didn't have me full time, so that actually was an opportunity for me to kind of grow as a writer and write for HoopData.com, which was just started up. I just saw it. I was like, man, they have all these new stats. They have a database tracking shot locations that I've never seen before. And I just said I needed to get into this. So I contacted um, the owner through his About Me email address. And from there, he was like, let's, let's do it. Let's have you write. I was getting paid exactly zero cents for each piece, but this was a platform, and it was a really exciting website and an exciting time to be writing about basketball analytics, which is, um, as you probably know, is, is sometimes it feels light years away from where baseball is now. Well, I do know, and we can get to, to some of this more, maybe uh, more broadly philosophical stuff later, but the thing with... The, the the thing with basketball is yes there's like i mean i guess it's it's both daunting and exciting that there's a lot to learn and then there's also the sense that there's information available in um nba front offices that that the layperson uh, does not have access to well it's absolutely true uh, and it's actually very frustrating for people on the outside uh there's this wall um, not only from the NBA to its fans or to the public, but within each organization, they have put up these fortresses and blinders so that no one, no one can find out what each team is doing. It's like the, the secret of bunker. Each team has either a staff or one one staff guy, and they don't like to reveal what they're doing or what staff they're looking at. And so, this was an opportunity for me. Um, knowing that there's this like secretive world of basketball analytics that on the inside, um, teams like the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Boston Celtics, they weren't really letting anyone know what they were doing. And so it was our job in the public to kind of tap into these new resources like hoopdata.com and, and use it as a playground, um, and try to play around with the numbers and learn. Um, I was just getting in, like, I was just getting my hands, um, on the sabermetrics, uh, analytics, the, the, the different stats, W-O-B-A, all the Tom Tango stuff, um, and everyone at Fangraphs, I was just getting my hands around that, and then now I'm learning NBA stats on the fly. So, what's interesting about HoopData.com is they have shot locations, so... What they've done is they take play-by-play data, put it into a SQL database, and parse it just like, you know, um, baseball analysts have been doing for years. Um, you know, breaking down retro sheet and going through pitch effects. And these guys at Hoop Data basically parsed all the basketball play-by-play that they had available and said, what, what does a guy shoot from 16 to 7, 23 feet? What is the field goal percentage at the basket? What is the field goal percentage um, in the mid-range? And how often does he shoot there? Per minute? Per game? And what are the totals? And so I'm just sitting here like I just fell on a gold mine. And um, 
this was a huge opportunity. I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you the first day how excited I was to see Hoot Day. And I think I sent that email to Joe um, within hours of discovering Hoot Day to trying to write for the site because it was just amazing. And then so and and then from there, uh, at some point, you got this opportunity. You say it's uh, that that sort of corresponded with the LeBron signing in in Miami. You you, you call it the Heat Index. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the first of ESPN.com's venture into team coverage. Um, you know, they, they cover the big sports. They cover, uh, they have an excellent staff on the baseball side, the NBA side, the NFL, um, hockey, you name it. They have, they cover the leagues. But this was the first time they've actually, um, tapped into team blogs. And this was a big foray into the unknown. And, there was an insatiable appetite for LeBron, Miami, uh, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosch, the big three. It was crazy. So ESPN decided, let's try to cover this, um, this basketball experiment. This Everyone had this just ball of fire of hate for this team. And so it was just it was kind of a no-brainer decision for ESPN to say, listen, let's try to Let's try to innovate how teams get covered, and let's send a staff of four guys down to Miami and cover this team from all different angles. So I was one of those lucky four and moved down to uh, Miami in November of last year. And, and so, you're, so you say that uh, the four of you have sort of different responsibilities. What, what's your responsibility in that group? Well, it's changed over the past year, but I initially came on as an analyst, uh, a mini John Hollinger, if you will, um, basically to cut through all the rhetoric, all the um, all the conversation points, and take it under the microscope using analytics and statistics. And since I was kind of at the forefront, just happened to be there. Um, it was a really exciting opportunity for me to apply a lot of the knowledge that I got from sabermetrics and analytics and say, okay, can LeBron James average a triple-double this year? Because when it started, that was the question, was can LeBron James average a triple-double? And there were these people all over the place saying, you know, he's going to average a triple-double and um, he's going to be the next Oscar Robertson. Um, And I just sat there being like, well, let's actually put that to the test. How will LeBron James get a triple-double? Well, he's going to have to play at a faster pace because the way that Miami Heat traditionally play, the tempo won't allow him to get enough opportunities to get more rebounds and assists and points. And so can he, can, has anyone been able to like double their rates in rebounding and assists, which is what LeBron pretty much had to do. And at the end of the day, that was like one of my first articles, debut articles for Eden X was, you guys are crazy. There's no way that LeBron can average a triple double and that's you know one of those one of those uh mainstream questions those mainstream topics that before in the nba didn't really get analyzed uh as extensively as it might be today and now there's some really great minds out there who um are tackling these big blue chip questions um with analytics and that's really how we've been able to tap into the mainstream well it seems like uh, just generally speaking um that readers are are sort of maybe hungry for um, to to actually see the work 
Right. I mean, there is there is definitely there's no shortage, especially among the sort of traditional uh, beat writing uh, beat writing community. There's no shortage of opinions, as you note. But to actually ask a question and then try and answer it as responsibly as possible, I think is something that does not have a very long tradition in sports writing, but is something um, for which people have become hungry in which because of, you know, uh, database uh, you know the usage of databases and, and greater facility with them among among writers. That it's actually something we can do, and it sounds like that's what you're dealing with. Yeah, it's really hard. You know, one of the one of the great things I learned. Um, I was at an MIT Sloan conference uh, a couple of years ago, watching a basketball panel, um, analytics panel, and one of the guys uh, on the panel, I think it was Dean Oliver, um, who now works as the director of analytics at ESPN. Um, he said that it's one thing to have knowledge of these statistics and how it can help uh, people have a greater understanding, um, but what stat guys and nerds and um, what we struggle with is communicating those ideas. And it's not having the stats, it's what you do with it. Um, so that was, you know, that's one of the big struggles of the sabermetric uh, community, um, the analytics community is, okay, we have this information, now what, we, what do we do with it? So we, you know, when, when you write about basketball, there are these new metrics, um, and it's scary. It's scary for some people um, to hear about things like plus-minus, adjusted plus-minus, player efficiency rating, war um, all these metrics that are, you know, quote-unquote newfangled stats. Um, and it's scary to some people, and it's scary to readers. But there is this growing community that's hungry for it. There's, they're, they are looking to be smarter and to be able to see into the future a little bit better. Uh, people hate being wrong. I hate being wrong. And this is why I got into this um, little hobby of mine that turned and somehow into a career is that I hated being wrong. So analytics was a way for me to be less wrong. <laughs> less um, wrong, yeah, that's that's the goal <laughs> to be less. Now I want to get into some yeah. uh, momentarily. I want to get into to some of the the sort of metrics of which, especially that uh, FanGraphs um, readers and podcast listeners, um, the, the the metrics in which they might be interested. But first, I want to do like some real basic fact-checking and learning about the basketball season that's about to begin? Because I think it literally begins in five days, right? It begins on Christmas? Uh, I think it is it five days. I'm such I'm so crazed. and. Uh, well, you also yeah, live in Miami, it, yeah, so that's disorienting. There's no time here. Um, <laughs> there's no the clock. Everyone's late. People go to bed at 6 in the morning. I swear it's, it's bizarre. But, yeah, I think it starts uh, pretty soon. Yeah. Okay, so, so so basketball will start. And we have, a, what is it, a 63, 65-game season, something like that? So 66-game season starting Christmas Day, and it's, um, it's, it's a crunch. It's going to be a grind. Um, uh, it's going to be nuts. I mean, there's going to be back-to-back-to-backs, which for baseball players is okay. Uh, playing three days in a row. But for basketball players, when they're colliding, jumping, sprinting up and down the floor constantly for two hours, it gets grinding. So um, it's, it'll be interesting this year. This is something we, we saw in the 1998-99 lockout where it cut the season short to about 50 games. 
And um, we're going to see so, sort of the similar uh, products of a shortened season, which one of those is that it's just plain, ugly basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean Kent put on about 40 pounds and became this, like, he, he played above the rim for his entire career, and then suddenly he put on, like, 30 pounds of blubber. And he became a... Uh, he became like a better rebounder, and it was like he became one of the most uh, prolific double-double machines in the NBA. Finn Baker put on like 20 pounds, and then it, you know he spiraled into um, into basketball oblivion. Uh, and so this this lockout-induced shortened season is kind of crazy. And for analysts, we're still trying to figure out what's going to happen. Okay, now I sort of also I I, I followed last season pretty closely. But um, when it became clear that there was going to be a lockout for the NBA, I, I, and I'm guessing that you know some portion of our listening audience just tuned out entirely, um, <laughs> with the notion that once we were promised a season, then we would, you know, we would sort of invite basketball back into our lives. Um, so this is me doing that essentially. This conversation. Um, I know that so that I, I sort of want to become I want to become reacquainted with the league and like the biggest moves. I know that I definitely heard some talk, uh, and it was mostly due to the hashtag basketball reasons on uh, on the twitters. Yeah. But there was something yeah. involving Chris Paul. Chris Paul is no longer a Hornet. Is that a fact? He is no longer a Hornet. He is a Clipper, a Los Angeles Clipper, alongside. Blake Griffin and Chauncey Billups and DeAndre Jordan. Uh, it's become uh, this year's Miami Heat. Uh, it's a fascination. Um, and Mo Williams, isn't that right? Mo Williams is there too. That, that Wow, that was pretty impressive for a guy who doesn't call himself an NBA fan. Right, well, I've been seeing some yeah. of the tweets, but I know that, so essentially they just have point guards and centers. That's the team? Uh, it's point guards and, uh, big men, but they don't really have a traditional shooting guard at the two. So what they're doing is they're moving with, which is essentially what the four, uh, four Marlins, excuse me, uh, Miami Marlins are doing with Jose Reyes and Hanley Ramirez. Since Hanley Ramirez isn't going to be playing short anymore, they'll, they'll slide him over to the, the third base, like what Alex Rodriguez did with Derek Jeter. The, the Clippers are doing the same thing with Chauncey Billups. So he's a point guard, one of the um, ten best point guards in the league, and they have Chris Paul in his place. So they're not going to make Chris Paul go out of position. He's a superior player. Uh, so Chauncey Billups is actually going to slide into the uh, shooting guard spot. It's going to be interesting how um, how that goes. Obviously, it's going to be a new experience for him, but uh, I think he's going to be capable, just like A-Rod is, of playing third base, um, I think he'll be fine at, at the shooting guard position. So it's a, it's a familiar thing. If you want to, if you want to attract baseball fans into the NBA, there are a lot of uh, similar aspects to it that um, can drive your interest. If no other reason than to watch the Chris Paul pick and roll with Blake Griffin, where he throws it up in the air and Chris and Blake Griffin rises into the rafters and throws it down. Just from an aesthetic point of view, that's awesome to watch. But also from a geek. Um, basketball experiment. Chauncey Billups playing shooting guard is pretty cool. So, and and now Billups, though, it seems just anecdotally to me that he, the, the transition would be less difficult for him than 
other players because he obviously I mean he has he has a terrific outside shot. He's a, I mean he's a good scorer. He's a very efficient scorer, right? In that he yeah. he's yeah. always posted true uh, high true shooting percentages. And wow, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I'm willing to bring it, don't worry. And then uh, <laughs> uh but I believe he's also maybe he's always been a bigger point guard, is that right? That's true. Uh you're right on the mark. He is one of the most efficient uh guards in the NBA. Uh, his calling card is his true shooting percentage, which, uh, for those who don't know, it is something that incorporates, it's field goal percentage, but it incorporates the added bonus of a three-pointer. So you get an extra, it's like, you know, slugging percentage where you're giving bonuses for, you know, a double versus a single. Um, so it takes three, it takes three shots and puts it in one bucket. It takes field goal attempts, three, two-point attempts, three, three-point attempts, and free throws. And then it incorporates those as, okay, how efficient are you in getting those things? Um, and it turns out that Chauncey Billups is elite in true shooting percentage. Um, and true shooting percentage is a great step up from field goal percentage because you can have a bad field goal percentage and still be a really effective shooter, just like in the same way that Adam Dunn, was had a really terrible batting average, but he was a really effective um, hitter because he hit for power and he is efficient with his at bats. Same thing with Chauncey Billups. He's um, he's the Adam Dunn of of the NBA, where he he might not shoot a great percentage and it's just strictly field goal percentage, but he makes the most of it. Um, he is a great free throw shooter and a great uh, shooter from downtown. So. So um, who's going to play? Kind of been, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Who's going to play small forward on that team? Uh, a guy named Karan Butler, who just sat out uh, the entire second half last year for the Dallas Mavericks and watched his team win a championship without. They have Karan Butler. They have Karan Butler signed to a three-year, twenty-four million dollar contract. Okay, so at face value, that team seems really good. Uh, it's championship contender good. Um, there's still tons of questions. Uh, can Chomps Builds cut it as a shooting guard? Do they have enough depth behind the, uh, Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, who's going to be the center? Um, there's some questions, but they have some assets, trade, uh, chips that they can swing a deal, um, for, uh, a real starting shooting guard. Uh, and, you know, this is, this is a team that no one's going to want to play. No one. Um, they're athletic. They can score. They can defend. Um, the only question is whether Billy, Vinny Del Negro is up for the task. And um, he's the coach. Uh, he's not known for his play calls or his defensive uh, acumen. But with Blake Griffin and Chris Paul and Chauncey Billups, he doesn't need to be to be a contender. So now, it, just... it is a formidable team. I, I'm, I'm foreseeing them to be uh, in the contender circle now uh, speaking of uh, efficient scoring i know that uh that is a label that one can uh, use to describe both danilo gallinari and also rudy fernandez and i believe that both of those players are playing for the nuggets this year um, right yeah and um, they have they so i know and i've seen some glimpses something something about their roster construction and i think their roster has changed quite a bit uh, has excited me, but I don't know precisely what it is. So can we talk about the Nuggets for a second? Absolutely. Uh, the Nuggets traded Carmelo Anthony to the New York Knicks last year for uh, the Rooster Gallin- uh, 
Gallinari, um, and uh, Wilson Chandler, Raymond Felton, just a, a collection of really efficient players. And the interesting thing was they could go 10 players deep. Their second team last year was almost as good as any starting team in the, in, in the NBA. So they had two starting lineups, and they just ran, and they just blew everyone out. Um, I think, I could be wrong on this, but they, if they didn't have the best uh, efficiency differential, so their, um, to explain, it's basically their offensive efficiency, how many points they score every 100 possessions, minus their defensive efficiency, how many points they allow per 100 possessions, um, was superior to every team. So they, they were blowing teams out once you adjusted for pace. Uh, even though they were playing at a high pace, they were still, once you controlled for that, uh, high tempo, they were still blowing teams out. And it was unconventional because they didn't really have a superstar. They traded their superstar and suddenly they were better. Uh, Bill Simmons has coined a term called the Ewing Theory. And it was, uh, he, he witnessed the New York Knicks, uh, become better once they got rid of Patrick Ewing. And there's this phenomena that uh, exists in basketball. It's a very real thing, uh, that we've been trying to tackle where, the Denver Nuggets actually got better last year once they got rid of their supposedly best player. And the reason is is because their possessions um, were spread out to a lot of efficient players um, rather than being holed up into Carmelo Anthony, who is is pretty efficient, but not to the degree that uh, some other players were. And so they were dispersing their possessions amongst super high-efficiency players like Aaron Aflalo, who is... I think one of the most underrated players in the country um, who just got paid big time um, to the tune of, I think, five years, $43 million. Um, and they're going to be great. Uh, they are going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think Gallinari is a uh, dark horse pick for uh, the 20 points per game club. Um, and I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. Actually, John Hollinger put them as the number two team in the Western Conference. So we're talking, like, big time. This team is going to be electric. And who's number one, then? Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Oh, okay. And so Oklahoma City, they, they still have, uh, well, let's see, they, they still have Durant and Westbrook. Yep. Uh, they, have, they have a young nucleus that is unrivaled in the NBA. Uh, all their best players are still in their diapers. They, um, they're they on cheap contracts, rookie-scale contracts. Um, it's very much like the, the Rays a few years ago where they just had all this, this crop of exciting young players that they could build around because they were, you know, uh, signed to uh, artificially low contracts. And so they are – they went to the Western Conference Finals last year um, and they're only going to get better. They brought everyone back. Kevin Durant is is still, I think he's 23 years old, so he should be just getting out of college, and he's already leading the league in scoring two years in a row. So we're talking about we're talking about a team that is not even hitting their their prime collectively, and they're already in the Western Conference Finals. So uh, the sky is the limit for this team. I mean, if there's going to be, if you want to. Bet on who's, and I know no one, none of our fangraphs listeners are are gamblers. Oh, that'd be ridiculous. No, on, yeah, 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 yeah. No, of course not. Why would you ever want to no. look at high level statistics that's, to predict the future? That's ridiculous. Um, I don't know. That's stupid. <laughs> so if you want to make a bet, um, 
you can pretty much uh, the, the favorite is going to be Oklahoma City Thunder versus Miami Heat in the title this year. So um, the Oklahoma City Thunder Miami Heat matchups are especially fascinating because of LeBron James and Kevin Durant uh, going at each other. Um, I mean, imagine like Tim Lincecum and Albert Pujols going at it every night, um, head on head. Just uh, that's what. Kevin Durant and LeBron James do every time they play. It's just it's it's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting year. Okay, now I don't I don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to ask you. Uh, I was looking over the the rookie the rookie crop, um, and I don't really I'll be honest because I because I don't I, I don't follow college basketball much at all. I don't notice a lot of players. I know that uh, Kemba Walker was was quite good at Connecticut for a while, and Jimmer Fredette who ended up with Milwaukee, um, is a talented scorer. I think he was at BYU maybe, but that's uh, largely the extent of it. Is there Are there any uh, are there any rookies who are going to make an impact this season? Um, there's, you know, this is a, the weakest crop of rookies that we've seen in a long time, actually. So I wouldn't say that we're about to see Blake Griffin, John Wall come out of this crew. Uh, but I will say that there's some interesting guys. Uh, Kyrie Irving, obviously, the number one pick, is someone to watch in Cleveland. He played, like, only a handful of games at Duke, the point at point. Um, and people loved his upside so much, uh, threw around names like Chris Paul in terms of comparisons. Um, and he's, he's gonna have, uh, all the, all the opportunity to, to do what he, um, do what he wants in Cleveland because he's got the, the point guard slot uh, now that Baron Davis is on the Knicks. So he's someone to watch. Jimmer just put up 20 points um, for Sacramento in their preseason, first preseason game, so he can score in buckets. Um, he's, he's someone to watch. I'd also say that this guy, uh, Bismarck Biombo, for the, the center from uh, for the Charlotte Hornets, I mean, Char- excuse me, the Charlotte Bobcats, He's um, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Super athletic. Uh, he, he's he's a guy who can be a defensive um, stalwart in two or three years. Uh, no one really knows him. He's not a household name. But if you want to watch a young player develop into, you know, say an Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, uh, Dwight Howard type defender, that's someone to keep your eye on. All right. All right. Uh yeah, like I said, I don't want to harass you too much. Can, can we just just last thing in terms of the stats that that you use and 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 that you feel most comfortable with, and where they sort of exist and and how much they tell us. Like you mentioned, for example, there's a, there's a WAR stat, and I, I think that that's posted at Basketball Reference, but it could be elsewhere too. Uh, what is the what is this sort of thing that's giving us the best picture, and what don't we know? About player talent. Uh, we don't. We don't know a ton. I think you can ascribe uh, the same thing that uh, Bill James says about baseball and sabermetrics is like you know a thousand years from now we still won't know anything about baseball. So that about baseball you can say about basketball is that we're just trying to scratch the surface on how to value players. Uh, biggest problem is defensively, it's a mess. Um, baseball is just getting a good hand, a uh, good grasp on defensive metrics, and even then they can't agree. Uh, same thing in basketball. There's um, there's a great uh, metric by uh, by Kevin Pelton of Bas- BasketballPerspectives.com, who uh, who came up with his warp, 
uh, for for basketball for NBA. And so he has a Winslow replacement player stat for um, for basketball. And essentially, it takes your offensive contributions, it takes your defensive contributions, uh, which are a lot tougher to grade, um, and puts it into an all-in-one metric. But the thing, Carson, the thing about basketball is it's really hard to pinpoint it, uh, contributions for production when you're playing in a team. The hits are they'll drive you crazy. So. You know, when a guy when a guy runs off a pick and roll, drives through the lane, and you know lays it up for a basket, who who do you blame for that? Do you blame it on the point guard for letting um, for letting him get by, or do you blame the big man on the screen trying to defend it? What about the Republicans? Can we blame the Republicans? You can always blame <laughs> the Republicans, and I'm sure there's a you can blame Tim Tebow in there too uh, uh-huh. for some for something, um, but. But the but basically, you know, the deep defense is is is, is the next frontier, um, and will always be, I, I think, uh, trying to figure out how good defenders are. I mean, if you look at Gold Glove awards, it's really just, uh, hey, who's a star player who can defend, you know, marginally better than the next guy? So that's why Derek Jeter gets Gold Gloves, and it's the same reason why we see some NBA players who get on the all-defense first team just because they're a star who actually, you know, put in some effort um, on the defensive end, not just because they're the best defenders, just because they're stars. So uh, we're still trying to figure out defense, still trying to figure out um, the best way to tackle that, and we have different weapons at our disposal, which is uh, plus-minus. Um, it's a new venture the last couple of years that we're still trying to figure out if it's really all that reliable, which it's not. Um, so we're getting these same struggles that we have in baseball where we just don't know how to quantify defense. And warp is a great metric um, by basketball perspectives is Kevin Pelton. He has an annual that you guys should buy. It's coming out shortly. Um, also, John Hollinger's PER, which is more positioned towards offense because it, it pulls from the box score, and the box score only has steals and blocks. And that's really just a small portion of what defense is all about. So um, it's a great metric for offensive uh, contributions. Um, that's an all-in-one metric that I like to use. Um, and then on basketball reference, there is this thing called win shares. So it's the same concept as uh, warp. It just does it. It goes about it a slightly different way. So the nice thing is that we can go back to you know see what Wilt Chamberlain and Oscar Robertson's warp or uh, sorry win shares is, and you can find it all on BasketballReference.com. So I can assure you that um, I spend. <laughs> A lot of my time, uh, it's a sad, it's a very sad amount of time <laughs> on basketballreference.com. Um, <laughs> I don't think, I think if, uh, I think if you actually quantify how much time I spent on basketballreference.com, my fiance would, uh, end our relationship <laughs> and, uh, it'd be very embarrassing and as well as a lot of the basketball analytics guys. Like that, that, that thing is our lifeline. So, um, well, I think that yeah, probably, I, yeah, probably most of our uh, writers and uh, uh, readers would would uh, be able to sympathize with you there. Yeah, and and you know I um, 
it's funny looking back. I don't know how I ended up where I am. Um, I had one guy walk up to me at, at, during the playoffs and said, so are you serious that uh, being a stats guy took you to South Beach covering LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh? And <laughs> I said, yeah, uh, pinch me. It's really um, a dream come true. I, um, I can't believe that, you know, in my days reading the book blog, uh, Tom Tango and MGL, um, all the Hardball Times articles and all the annuals I read that somehow it would actually um, launch me into a career. And, you know, I was, just a few years ago, I was wondering if this was all worth it. Um, it can you turn this hobby into a career? And I was just one of the lucky ones that um, took some chances and somehow I hit the lottery. Um, but I still, from time to time, when I have I have a, a kernel of, of free time, I check out everything you guys are doing at Fangrass and uh, what Tom Tango is doing and um, what the guys at Insider at ESPN are doing. And um, you know, it's it's great to see where you guys have come. Uh, I still remember the first time I went to Fangrass, and now where it is today. It's it's incredible. So actually, Eric Seidman and I are trying to work on some stuff together for the NBA season, and um, it's it's good to be back uh, in in the NBA. Is back. It's really good. I was really getting worried there for a moment that I might have to relearn baseball and try to get back into the fold uh, with you geniuses over there. So, <laughs> well, those are um, uh, those are obviously uh, the kind words, sir. Um, much appreciated. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you go, and enjoy South Beach. Uh, well, it is a very hard place to work. I'll tell you that because there's a uh, there's a lot of temptations here, and if you're trying to be a workaholic, this is not the number one place to be. I'll tell you, there's a reason why the best writers in the world usually come from cold climates. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. Well, uh, in 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 any event, if you ever want to spend a uh, a long weekend in Madison, Wisconsin, to get your writing chops back. Uh, you're invited up here, sir. But uh, but thank you well, so much. That's th- a lot of <laughs> uh, that's a lot of beer. Um, I don't think I would get any any work done, considering how much fun Madison is. Well, it is it is a lot of fun. Um, but hey, Tom, <laughs> Tom, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Wish you the best of luck, of course, and uh, a, a merry basketball season. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, really uh, a pleasure to speak with you guys, and uh, keep up the great work, Carson. All right, thanks a lot. That's Tom Haberstroh. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>